0: Welcome to Mormon Visual Culture, a podcast presented by the Zion Art Society and hosted by me, Micah Christensen. This week, we present an interview with Dennis Smith, a sculptor and painter who was an original and founding member of the Mormon Art and Belief Movement. He is a a formidable figure in LDS art who doesn't get uh, to talk much about his work or get interviewed very often. And um, this is something that he brought up in pre-interview and uh, we talked a little bit about during the interview itself. But the moment we started talking about his biography, it became very personal. And uh, I got the sense as we were talking about his work that it was very clear that his work is an extension of himself and his own path. It's true for a lot of artists, but I was surprised how true it was for Dennis Smith. Born in Alpine, Utah, he now has his studio in Alpine, Utah. He studied at BYU and then at the Royal Danish Society uh, in Denmark. He is uh, an artist whose work is found everywhere, not only in the church, but he has monuments in Norway, in Denmark, in various embassies throughout the United States. He is a significant figure within uh, LDS art, and the chance to talk to him was one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Just a note for those who are listening, um, who are longtime listeners to the podcast, this is a different interview. He wanted to talk about things that uh, took us in a different direction than we normally go. Rather than talking about big ideas and how things are made, we talked a lot about his biography, and I found in that process that I was humbled. I was humbled by the path an artist takes to, to and the sacrifices that an artist often needs to make, and he in particular, um, in order to uh, produce his art. So I hope you enjoy this. We are very pleased to have you here with us, Dennis Smith. Thank you for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Now you've been on my hit list for a long time of artists that I've wanted to interview. Because you've lived through some of the most uh, biggest biggest changes that have happened in our, in Mormon art, the Mormon art community. However, even though I am interviewing you here for Mormon Visual Culture, and that this is kind of the perspective we're taking as uh, as as, a, uh, as Mormons as we're talking about art right. today. It would be fair to say that your world is not focused exclusively on Mormonism. You have had a national international reputation as a sculptor and as a painter and um, it would probably be fair to say that even though in a lot of those works aren 't overtly Mormon that spirituality has underlied a lot of that work. Is that fair uh, yes, very much so so i want to I want to start kind of at the very basic because we 're going to get to 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 some of your your pieces in particular. But I want to talk about where you started. Where did where were you born? I was
1: born in... I wasn't born in Alpine, Utah. Okay. I was born in Murray. In Murray? In Murray, but when I was six weeks old, my mom and dad moved to Alpine, where my mom grew up and where my grandfather lived. My grandpa, in the 1930s, got polio and was not able to take care of his farm. And... Uh, uh, m- my mom and dad, when I was six weeks old, moved out into my great grandmother's old log house on Grandpa's farm in Alpine. In
0: Alpine. Okay, so this this uh, then begs a very serious question that needs answering, and that's does does that story work with old Alpiners to qualify you as being authentically from Alpine, or are you a comer? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Using the accurate definition, I'm a comer. <laughs> now, for those who but, don't know, but not
1: using the accurate definition, my great, great grandparents settled, settled in Alpine in the, the uh, late 1860s, and wow. my, and 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 from the time I was six weeks old, I, I lived for the first five years, in my great grandmother's.
0: Log log cabin. house
1: in Alpine.
0: This is a if people may be bewildered who don't know this culture as well as you and I do, because I, I I'm a comer to Alpine. I moved there later. Um, there's a there's a fierce pioneer um, stock tradition of founders of cities and many settlements, and Alpine, which is now got a, a population of about ten thousand people, was not very long ago basically six families and their descendants who lived in an agricultural center that has over the past 20 or 30 years been inundated invaded someone uses as a term by um by a a a, a by diaspora of of californians and people who have discovered the paradise that you live in
1: correct all the time i was growing up uh alpine alpine was settled and as a as a city in 1850, as a kid growing up in Alpine, people would always say that Alpine, in Alpine, would say Alpine is the first organized city
0: in the United States.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, an Alpine-centric view of life, see, isn't it? And
0: yes. Uh, how many signers of the Declaration of Independence <laughs> were <on Alpine?
1: laughs> uh, <clears throat> As I was growing up, there was one Mormon ward in Alpine. Yeah. Between five and 600 people, uh, there was rarely anyone who ever moved in or out of Alpine. Uh, my close friend, Kent Shepard, hmm. whose father owned this only service station in town, uh, I would spend summer sitting on the front of the service station while he tended the few cars that came in. And we were able to know as as cars rounded the end of the lane who's uh, uh, about a quarter of a mile away, whose car it was. Just by the way it sounded.
0: By so the color of it. It would probably be be, uh, be fair to say that it was not an art mecca at the time you were growing up. What was your first experience with art that you remember, and, and how did you get your first interest in becoming an artist?
1: I, I remember as a kid that I was... Uh, touted as a kid that would that would be chosen by the teacher to do an art project, so I must have been, you know, really intrigued with it. Hmm. I remember that me and two of the girls in our class were chosen. This was about the third grade, to go across the way from the from the school into the gymnasium and do drawings that would go on the wall, and that was really really special. Hmm. I remember doing a, a drawing of uh, firefighters. W- what do you call the ones that come out of the sky? Smoke jumpers. Oh, smoke jumpers! Smoke yeah. jumpers. And I—that's ha- ambitious I, for a third. I writer. have that. I have that drawing. My mom and dad. My mom saved all of my stuff. There was a a book in the nineteen forties that was put out, and uh, called Taps, of World War Two poetry. It was a gray
0: book. Interesting. And when I
1: came across it later on, I opened it up and I had drawings of of boxers in boxing rings all through the book. Probably eight or nine of them.
0: Had you were you looking at those drawings as an influence that no. you remember?
1: No, I just I, I and when I saw that and this was probably when I was in my early twenties, I remembered distinctly doing those drawings.
0: So when I, when I think of, of uh, um, boxers and drawings, I think of Mahan Ray Young, George Lukes. I think some of these Chicago and New York artists who are from the, from the Ashcan school. These were stick figures. These are stick figures? I probably
1: were done when I was five or six years old. <laughs> but I always wanted to be an artist. There was one period when I swung toward music. Uh-huh. That was maybe when I was 10 or 11. And the reason I swung to music was because I, f- I became intrigued with uh, with piccolos. And I wanted, I wanted to play the piccolo. And looking back on it later, I realized that because nobody else played piccolos, that's why I wanted to do it. It was a way of doing something special. Early mm. on I think the feeling of doing something special was of was a major impetus in my the evolution of my desire for
0: creativity. It's interesting because it, but, but but at one point don't you think that Am it I goes from too much? No, 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 you're not at all. Is it does at some point um No, there's no such thing as too much or too little. Well this I is, just I fine. just
1: I just worry that when you ask me a question that I go into it, no, uh, and and uh, start three other stories. No, no, no. To we, get to the end. There is.
0: I have. I have no destination that I'm interested in. I'm interested in the journey. Okay. This is this is great because it it does lead. In fact, your answer led me to to wonders, particularly this idea of being special. I think that there are a lot of people who seek attention as kids by doing something that's interesting or different. Maybe they're talented in dance or in music, or in art. But at some point, being talented and different is, hits the rubber of the road of being practical, right? Of, oh my gosh, I've got I've to make a living doing something. And you'd come from, would it be fair to say that you came from a farming agricultural family?
1: Uh, yes, only not a big major farm. Right. Uh, growing up in the 1940s, my dad was from Draper over okay. the hill in Salt Lake County, he met my mom on a blind date, and uh she was she grew up in alpine, and that's how we ended up back in alpine as it and and really I, I grew up my whole life in alpine but uh it was a small community with farmers who couldn't make it on a farm anymore so when huh. Geneva Steel during the second world War was built. War was built in in Orem, Utah. A lot of the men in Alpine got jobs either there or at Lark or at the at Bingham. Because, at the Bingham Copper Mine. Because they couldn't make their their
0: farms work. So basically, Alpine became a bedroom community for people who had blue collar manufacturing, big company jobs. Yes. but they but they were doing a lot of hard manual labor. So they they used their agricultural hard labor ethic. To now be hard labor ethic. Yeah. In, um, uh...
1: One way of putting that is that my dad worked at Geneva Steel. And uh, when dad was on shift work, either me or my brother, Alan, who was two years older than me, were the ones that milked the cow. And, hmm. and when we get together, often Alan complains that he was the one that always had to do the milking because he was two years I, older <laughs> he was two, that's probably it well that's that's the argument i try to make but the other argument is that uh uh he was on his part
0: is that he was more accountable than me were were they were they ever encouraging or discouraging about this art habit that you had did because because i imagine that that would have been somewhat foreign
1: to yes. your family,
0: right? This imp- this impulse towards art. There
1: was one thing that happened that really had an influence on it. This was probably when I was twelve, uh, somewhere between ten and thirteen. Okay. That that I expressed a real interest in taking, uh, in applying for the artists' schools ads that were in the magazines that said, "Draw this face." Oh, and, interesting. And if, and if and if it's good enough, will we, we? You will be eligible to join the famous artist schools. So this is like Norman
0: Rockwell's famous artist school yes, kind of thing, right? Absolutely. But and he was advertising heavenly and heaven, heavily in Reader's Digest, in in uh, comic books, Saturday lots of Post, uh, uh,
1: all of those magazines. And and I submitted one. I remember I I had to draw. A, uh, a a a a face. I can't remember what the face was of, but I got a letter back that it was really special. Of course, looking back on it now, I realize that the letter went to everybody. That everybody you, it was, was a form really letter special. potentially, right? Uh, probably, and and but it was special enough that we could get. And I remember it was three hundred dollars to take the entire course, and there was a and and my mom and dad were supportive in me doing that, and $300 was a lot. That's, that was a lot, a lot, of, lot money. of money. It would have been in the 1950s, and right? looking back and understanding how tight things were for them, and uh, my mother and father really put themselves out to commit to this, and and in the end, for some reason, I just didn't feel like it was the right approach that... Spending that money wasn't, and it was a smart decision on my part to actually. not spend the money yeah, to not spend the money and and uh do that. The other thing that happened as an as an older teenager, I became really intrigued with with cartooning. Someday I would become a cartoonist i would I would get on a freight train, I would run away from home, get on a freight train, it would take me back east, and since lil Abner by Al Cap was one of the most significant comic strips that I would end up in Boston and I would knock on his door and he would open it and he would say, Dennis, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> I've been you.
0: waiting for you. you finally arrived.
1: <laughs> and, then, and then I would evolve and would, would get a cartoon syndicated in 300 different newspapers and would come back to Alpine and would have a Cadillac with my name on the side of the door, <laughs> and would drive up and down Main Street and Back Street, uh, uh, so that everybody would see that I was a, that I was really was an artist.
0: It's interesting that the model for success, in a way, in your mind was was comic strip because that is a very practical way to make money as an artist, right? A
1: lot of that had to do with my I had a I had a, a sense of humor, yeah, and 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 love to make quips and, Mm. and uh, I I really had an, I was really insecure. really, we lived enough on the edge of town that I always went to the other kid's house to play. And then they never came to my house. Mm. Uh, And, and, and having that sense of insecurity about self, Mm. uh, art was a way of becoming of, of, of empowering myself. Mm. And, uh, I've thought about that in recent years and realized and realized that that has that permeating my sensibility has affected me my entire life. Interesting. And the positive aspect of that is that art was a way of of proving myself. Interesting. Of becoming of becoming special. It's like uh, playing the piccolo.
0: Yeah. Yeah, both of them made you different. Both of them were something that were creative, that, that were performance-oriented a little and bit. And
1: cartooning made it really, really, that was the quick, Yeah. that was the quick response. And what I wanted to say in terms of the question you asked about my mom and dad, uh, as a, as a teenager, they gave me, we lived in a basement house until i was 11 and then we got enough money to build on top mm. and the furnace room which was one of the old bedrooms down in the basement my mom and dad gave me the furnace
0: room as my studio and you you had your own it, that's that's pretty remarkable did you have I, you had a brother how many siblings were there there were 5 of us and so to give up an entire space for you to work on your art meant a significant a, a significant dedication by your parents to to help you with your talent. Yeah,
1: I mean it wasn't the I mean
0: it I mean it was the, the furnace room. The it furnace, wasn't the
1: furnace took up a good portion of it, but I had a desk that my dad had made in in, in industrial arts in high school. It was about the size of this this table desk and and it's roughly a 2 like by it. 3 feet. Yeah. And, and and dad gave that to me as my as my easel. Huh. And I had and I had two old uh, uh, metal filing drawers that I would put my uh, cartoonists call it their morgue for reference reference files and I had reference files and the other thing that artists do a lot I've noticed is that they're collectors yeah I remember having an art co- a, a rock collection a matchbook collection a pencil collection for a long time I collected pencils pencils from all over the world and i understand
0: that i'm one i come from a collecting family my wife would call it hoarding (laughs) (laughs) but it is it is uh it's it's a way that we're just you're just a curious interested person and it works its way into your work right in in my dad's uh barn
1: which was an old chicken coop that he had moved from american fork up to our up onto our property onto our 49 acres uh it had a feed room, and in the back of the feed room, there was an, the, an old cupboard that was a play cupboard that my little sister had had, and I was, was able to set
0: that up, and that was where I had my rock collection. Interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead a little bit. I'm going to jump ahead to the 1960s, because you were at BYU during a fairly, what I, what I think would arguably be a magical time. Yeah. There was a an arts faculty that I guess we could probably say was nascent. It was just new, right? And and uh, you had Dale Fletcher, who was a professor there among others, and he had a manifesto. You had um, you Gary Ernest Smith, Trevor Southey, Vern Swanson. Who else am I missing?
1: Bob Marshall, Jim Christensen, in uh, the faculty, uh, the Alex DeRais, uh Franz Johansson, who taught sculpture and i mention him specifically because he really had a major influence on me because he didn't have an influence on me and what i loved looking back in it in la- on later years was that franz did not push you in a certain direction hmm. he supported you to do what you did what best. did his work look like he was a figurative uh, he was a figurative uh, uh, he was in in that uh modernistic trend where uh, stylization of the human figure, and did very very strong uh, figurative pieces and and, uh, dr- and drawings. I took uh, several uh, drawing classes from him. Hmm. Uh, he was the main influence on me as a as as a teacher in in uh, college.
0: One of the things that I'm fascinated about with BYU at this period in the 60s is that... Um, uh, can
1: I... Mean, can I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, please do. Go ahead. I want
0: to mention one
1: thing and that was high school.
0: Yes. And if I skipped it, please catch did. us up. Uh,
1: because that was where the spark really caught fire for me. Okay. Uh, I was kind of... And I think I'm a little bit ADD. I, I think that's used as a catch-hole lots of times. <laughs> but realizing that I was a little bit uh i had a very difficult time with math and 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 i i just couldn't i just couldn't get at that at all uh, and like uh, in english program, uh, structuring sentences and that sort of stuff that was really a struggle for me but and and i was kind of an average c b student this c, is at american fork an american, right, an american fork Park high, Park school. high school but uh in the twelfth grade, I took journalism and mr Washburn J Niles Washburn was my teacher and He was an eccentric old man who was who was a veteran of World War two. I remember him telling us about when he was in London when the when the uh when the buzz bombs came, the v rockets the v rockets and hearing them and then when the motors would stop and then they would drop and uh, Jane Niles Washburn was the the spark that lit my fire interesting how because did he do he, that he, because he because he was passionate because he loved art because he loved he loved poetry he developed in me a love for poetry that uh, that really affected my whole life interesting. i remember him uh standing any- standing in front of the class and reciting reciting poems by William Blake, and and I would be totally transported into them because, I mean, he he would read them and cry, and while lots of the students would be, you know, spinning their their finger around their ear saying, this guy's crazy, I, I... his craziness was, in, was infected me, and I think any good teacher in the arts does more—it uh, isn't what they teach,
0: it's the passion that, yeah. they, tra- that
1: they communicate.
0: Your art is—a uh, a lot of the themes of your art are visionary, some of them are very childlike. It would seem to me that William Blake—it's interesting you mentioned Blake—that Blake would be a touchstone— is he? Yes. Did it come from from your teacher? Did, is, was no, he... no, that didn't hit or did it me come until later, in
1: later. That that came when I was in college classes and taking yeah. English and and studying William Blake more specifically. Well, yeah. and studying uh, 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 Blake's uh, uh, visual work. Yeah. I didn't relate to his visual work or know anything about it as a kid in high school.
0: So, is, can I ask you a few questions about BYU? Sure. So, so. One of the things that fascinates me about BYU and its art program in the 60s is what seems to me to be a bit of lawlessness that was going on at the time, <laughs> a bit of chaos. I mean, right now, we we live at a time where a lot of artists have very strong ideas about how education happens at BYU. There's, there's a humanities department, and there's a studio program, and there's an illustration program, and they seem to be... Diametrically opposed philosophically in the kinds, and everybody's got a very strong opinion about it. But when you look back at the 60s, I kind of wonder, and I don't feel like I've gotten a very good description. I don't know if there is a very good description that's out there. You have somebody like Dale Fletcher who was doing very modernist work and then who abruptly switched to a more realistic naturalist style. And then he's right. creating a manifesto, and you've got people like you and Trevor Southey and Gary Ernest Smith. Who are all very individual and who are allowed to thrive in that environment, it seems like, and to put on the shows that you want to put on without much oversight from the central, <laughs> central office. What's interesting
1: is that you're tapping into chapter two. Am I? Uh, chapter one for me was when I was 18, uh, 17. In 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 senior high school, and Richard Gunn, who taught at BYU and and was more of a um, in, in instructor in art history and that sort of thing, yeah, would come to. Uh, 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 check with his student teachers in the art department.
0: So he's kind of like a talent scout
1: uh, looking uh, around uh, for people? Looking for people, and he encouraged me to go to BYU. Interesting. And he always was a significant figure to me because he he was kind of a father figure. In, uh, the art department was still down on the old lower campus, okay. uh, which was the original uh, B- Brigham Young Academy campus
0: uh, in the old in the old, we're talking about the building that's the library now. Yes.
1: Okay. And 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 the the, the Provo City the library, north half is. of that was the music department, and the south side of it was the uh, art department. I remember when I sometimes when I would leave <clears> classes and I'd walk down and walk into the space between the two that I could hear. Uh, oh, what was oh, what's his name the. I'm 75 years old, so I forget <laughs> that's a right. lot of words and people. I'm 38, the, and I forget all the time. <laughs> the, the, the famous Mormon composer. Uh, oh, the,
0: It'll come to both of us. Yeah. Anyway, I know who you're
1: talking about. Lex Acevedo? No. No, no. That's
0: chapter two as well. Who's one of those um, people. who will oh, be well known. It'll come to me. Anyway, Uh I know he's not the most famous. I'm just trying to think of people who are in your before age went, range. Yeah,
1: before I went on my on my mission, I I was able to take a crafts class from Franz Johansson, who taught sculpture, and a a drawing class from Richard Gunn. And then I, after a year, I went on an LDS mission. And where did you go? I went to Denmark. Okay, and it was. Though I didn't realize it at the time it was a it was a real blessing for me to be able to go to Europe because Europe even now, if you were to say to me, If you could if I could just send you anywhere in the world on a trip, where would you go? I would go to Europe. You go to Europe. And I'd been to Europe many times, but I would go again because it's the roots it's the roots of of my cultural identity as a humanist. Yeah. Interesting.
0: So, chapter one: Are they teaching you? Uh, is, is the education there? Is it? Is it one? We're in the '60s. Are they modernists? Are they looking? Are they teaching human figure based? I guess what I was trying based? to
1: say in 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 going back down to Lower Campus, which it yeah. was called, is that uh, it was a it was a scrabbled together, uh, glued together. Uh, department that that hadn't didn't have its feet under it yet Mm -hmm. and and it was while I went on my mission between 61 and 64 two and a half year mission at that time yeah when I came back they were just finishing up the new the new art department on upper campus yeah and uh I came home and and my wife and I got married two months after I got home Boy, and I went and saw that
0: is a that is a BYU marriage if I've uh, ever heard of one well it, 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 <laughs>
1: it was it was uh far before BYU yeah. I, met, I met my wife when she was 15 in, oh, okay in Pleasant Grove and I wasn't quite graduated from high school that, and we immediately fell in love and went and were very close uh before I went on my mission
0: uh, I did not mean to accuse it then of the kind of <laughs> fly by nine marriages that happen at that institution occasionally. But it was a
1: very BYU marriage, so when you... that when I came back and we, and we went immediately to BYU, my wife had gone for two years, got a technology degree, and worked at Geneva as a multilith operator. Wow. Uh, and, and she saved enough money so that she could put me uh, uh, through school uh, and uh, and
0: of course, I had a job as well. But so so, I, I've got a question about BYU when you come back from your mission. And I've got to I've got to set the stage a little bit. Current- it, let me,
1: let, don't don't leave the mission yet because while okay. I was on my mission, okay. was when I got a a sense, an awareness of the depth and. Width of what art is?
0: What was it that gave you that depth and that width, uh, that a breadth? Scan- and width? A
1: Scandinavian and European culture.
0: Are you looking at anything in particular? Because I mean, you are in the home in Copenhagen of of people like Torvaldsen, Torvaldsen, and you've got you've got a number of of Danish artists who are.
1: Yes, it was it was it was it was figurative sculpture. I didn't know I was going to go into sculpture at the time, but. Uh, I was all constantly intrigued uh, and and cap- captivated by sculpture, and whenever I had an off day, and I could talk my companion into going to the Karlsbergguppe, which is one of the major museums of fine art in Northern Europe, right? And uh, they had a a total a, a a total collection of the Degas bronzes. Right. And they 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 took me the next step into sculpture. Interesting, though I didn't realize it at the time. It was just I've, something
0: that you. It was a well that you drew. I, on I, I, I
1: just was totally intrigued by it when I came home, and Veloy and I got married uh, that fall. I wasn't able to fit in a an, an art class, but I was able to fit in an evening class in sculpture. I from Franz Johansson. Mm-hmm. I went the first night. And, and we started doing a portrait head in clay. I came home that night and said to my wife, I know what it is now. It's sculpture. I want to do sculpture. Interesting. P- period. Who that were, was it.
0: So in, in um, it's interesting because it, it does go somewhat to answer the question that I was, I was formulating, which, which just, it requires a little bit of setup, this question. Um, it's not just my theory, but it's the theory of people like um, um, T.J. Clark and other art historians that every art culture has its own pantheon of gods that it it sees as being the greatest of the greatest. Right. So if you're if you're Spanish, there's Velasquez and Murillo and Cano. If you're uh, if you're French, you've got Poussin. and They bring in Rubens, and you've got David and Eng and. And if you're Danish, you've got uh you've got Torvaldsen in there. And as Mormons we have a very we've got a, a, a an interesting scrabble together pantheon that, that goes everywhere from from uh, other religions, Hoffman's, Karl Bloch, Torvaldsen. Um, all because of their origin their religious All because context. of their religious art and not because they were they were a Mormon themselves. but— you're, live, you're at BYU at a time when arguably there is really no strong Mormon art culture. No. Right? And I want to know, when you were there, it seemed like it was a moment of possibility if we can create an art culture. That's the sense I get. That is what evolved
1: very definitively when during the time that I was there. The What I brought with me... That I did not realize that I had received during the two and a half years I was in Scandinavia was a unawares sensibility of figurative sculpture hmm. that was strongly
0: influenced. By the humanism of Scandinavia, was it encouraged by professors when you came back? Where they no. said, "You've got a vision. Let's go with that." No, I didn't
1: even know that's what it was until no. years later. As I looked back on it, it was, "Oh my land, that's where it came from." You're, so you're painting and sculpting at BYU? No, right? no, I only had one painting class. I f- okay. focused everything on dra- Every, everything drawing was on sculpture. And sculpture.
0: So, so you were famously part of the Mormon art and belief movement. Along with with uh, uh, um, Gary Ernest Smith, who you're not related to directly, I'm sure no. everybody asked that. And along with um, with uh, Trevor Southey, who's there, what did your first works look like as part of that 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 movement, that zeitgeist that you were in?
1: That did not evolve for me until uh, at least when I was a junior. Uh, I mean, after two to three years, the first. Two years in the third year, by that time, it was during the first year that I was back mm-hmm. that Trevor Southey came from South Africa where he had been on an LDS mission. And I was intimidated when I saw photographs that he had sent in slides that, wow, there's this significant draftsman and painter who's coming as a student. Interesting. But when he came, uh, and I remember the first thing I saw of, of Gary... Of Gary Smith's uh, paintings was a painting I saw in the Ernest Wilkinson Center that he, he had won something, and I didn't know who Gary was, but I saw the painting. It was mostly greens. I remember, I had stairs in it, and I l- really liked it. Hmm. Uh, looking back later on, after we became close friends, which we did because our our like our we had. It was like we all had this spark of of desiring to do something that was significant, something that rooted us in our 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 tradition, our Mormon tradition, even though Gary was from Oregon. Oregon I, and I Trevor
0: was, was from Rhodesia slash and, England.
1: And and I and I was from down home Wasatch Front, Utah. Yeah. Uh we we met together. There were several others. Uh, Larry Prestwich was one. Uh, uh, Bruce Smith a little bit, uh, and later on, Vern Swanson. Uh, after he kind of got a, a, became aware of us, yeah. But uh, and and the one teacher there, the one faculty member who we really connected with, though I never did have a, a class from from uh, Dale Fletcher he had the same passion and we met the first meeting we had was at our little apartment of uh, voloy and i hmm. uh, gary and i and trevor had talked about it some and we said let's get together and talk about it and we get got together at our place one sunday evening and and it it was it was like a forest fire had
0: been started was it when you say talk about it was it this idea of what was it? What, what was the it thing you were? Was, chas- what were you how chasing? How can
1: I use my talents to build the kingdom of God? How can I use my talents to better support m- m- my theology rather than just to be an artist or a teacher? One of the it, things was, that is... it was to find it was to find real roots. Huh in in what we wanted to express
0: so did you have some guidelines that you all created because it seems like stylistically you're all very
1: different that evolved over the next couple of years (laughs) and we all evolved in our own in our own corners Hmm. uh in fact looking back on it later we all became successful in different ways because there wasn't there wasn't a, there wasn't w- a style guide. N- there was no style guide, and, and a style guide
0: never evolved. What was? What would you say? You said you all had different corners. What was your corner? My corner was a
1: kind of a a primitivism of expression uh, that was uh, closely identified, if nothing else, to CCA Christensen. C- Interesting. CCA Christensen, the, the big CCA Christensen paintings, came to BYU. When- there were
0: twenty of them that he that that uh, contextually. Just so if I, if you don't mind me giving a short context, CCA Christensen. He was Danish. He had come as part of a later group of pioneers, and um and and uh, was painting along the way. Um, in fact, I don't. I think he was actually one of the earliest. What he, I don't mean he, later. He's one he of the came, earliest. Came uh,
1: to Salt Lake the first time and. In-
0: uh, uh, 1854. And what I meant by later is that he wasn't part of the Nauvoo portion of the story. No, but he was part of the. He'd been part of the the European converts had come. He'd had a year or two at the School of Fine Arts in in Denmark in in Copenhagen, and then he um he becomes enamored and is really our first history painter. And in these 20 paintings, which he had envisioned as eventually being a museum, he, he went on the road. They were the story of the saints, the, the church being founded, the expulsion of the saints from Missouri leading up until the, to the great um, uh, uh, migration of the saints to the Salt Lake Valley, all captured in its innocence and violence and all of those moments— he took them on tour to the whole Mormon corridor from Canada down to Mexico. That's correct. Over a period of of several years, and would kind of collect pennies yes. as he went along for people to come see his shows. Brigham Young had endorsed it as a as, a, as something. Right. It was a it was it was really the first he ambitious tell, artistic effort. He, he would tell us the
1: Mormon story. Uh, s- uh, several of the paintings were of the Nauvoo period. One of them of, was of the Nauvoo Temple burning. One was of them crossing the Mississippi river on, on ice. One was of the Hans mill
0: massacre. Yeah. Uh, one of the Nauvoo Legion. It kind of, it kind of, you know what, just like as a side note, one of the things that fascinates me about that, that I wish there was a book about who knows, maybe I'll write it is I imagine that he, here he is, he was 16 or 17. He converts travels across the plains he hadn't been through the Nauvoo or Hans Mill period. He paints them and then he goes up and down the corridor where settlements are. And I'm sure that at every one of those showings, somebody raised their hand and said, I was there and gives their experience of it. Yes. It must have been a remarkable community, faith building experience to walk around with these paintings and use them as the impetus for people to share their personal experience. what's
1: interesting is in the late 1800s after he died, they were lost. Yeah. And the, the next time that they appeared Sorry. was in about 19, I'm guessing 1967. Uh, Gary, Gary Smith and trevor and i and some of the others who were all there together gary as a, as a, as a an upper class student got a part-time job as the head of the BYU collection which included the Mahanrai young
0: Paintings and drawings. These are the sculptures. ones that had just come from Mahan rais mm-hmm. own collection. There and were there over ten thousand pieces. And There in the
1: in the in the in the new Harris Fine Art Center, there was a place for the collection, down on the third floor, down on the or on the second floor, and Gary was in charge of that. And one day Gary says, "Hey, you guys, you got to come and look at this. This is really interesting." We went down, and there they were. The CCA Christensen
0: paintings so here is so for me the ccas are interesting because artistically the ccas like you said are very primitive he was not and he even admitted himself he 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 wasn't a great
1: artist and and he was not he was not touted in the church as as a significant artist in fact these were kept in a in a garage i remember that and i remember it was somebody that was connected in the family to CAC, C.C.A. Christensen, and donated them to BYU. And a lot of the people at BYU said, well, we don't know whether we want these or not. It was kind of like, oh, what's her name, uh, the painter from Wyoming? Uh, uh Minerva Tykert. Yeah. Same thing. She was never recognized in the church yeah. for her work. But then later, when the world recognized her, suddenly she becomes special. Well, this, It was the very same with CCA Christensen. Yeah, yeah. And, and suddenly when he, they came there, we were really interested in them, but nobody else was. That's and let, let me just finish this. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Uh, somebody at the Whitney Museum found out about it and wanted to have these. And an exhibit at the Whitney Museum, and I think it was Art in America magazine, came out, and they did an article on it. And I've now got the cover it was, issue. Yeah. Now, it, now it was big stuff. Yeah. And suddenly people in the church were, oh, wow, oh, aren't we special? Uh, suddenly we had... Suddenly CCA Christensen
0: was a star. You know, I bet you relate a little bit to that too, because you, you got a career. Um, as a sculptor, you were making... These remarkable um, scenes of children, in uh, and some of them are whimsical, some of them are are are, are about paternal relationships, and maternal relationships, and you're selling up and down the East Coast. You've got galleries all over the United States representing you, and I know that that's jumping ahead quite a, bit, quite a in, bit in the timeline. Yeah, but would you would you say that that same thing is something you relate to? That it wasn't until you were. Outside of the culture and recognized and represented by galleries on either coast.
1: Okay, back to chapter one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter one one in that question is, after I had uh, graduated with a BA degree at BYU, and then I went on and did one year of graduate work, and during that year I realized um, uh, J. Roman Andrus was one of the teachers there. He taught painting and, and printmaking. I took one of his printmaking classes and became really interested in in uh uh etchings because of the draftsmanship and I've always loved etching and if I could do something else besides the sculpture it would be probably to do something like that I
0: think that. if you added one more medium to your uh to 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 all the things you do, that would be pretty remarkable. Yeah. There are very few artists who do both painting and sculpture to the high level you do. If you had I, to add etching, you'd be a triple threat. I've
1: probably done fifty etchings yeah. and and done additions on several of them that I have stored in in huh. my storage room at home. Huh. I would do additions between ten and and seventy five huh. of the etchings that I did. Interesting. I'd love to uh, see them. At but some I, point. And, and in fact, at a later period, I even bought a a a
0: big table press the size of this table again yeah. again so about uh, two by three feet so when you were in graduate school is it is it because you were hoping to teach
1: in the beginning it was you know Valois and i were trying to figure out how to even survive and yeah. and uh we got pregnant uh within uh, well soon enough after we were married that we had to say well he was born 10 months after we were <laughs> married. but he. It was barely nine. Yeah.
0: It was, so you had very practical concerns. <laughs> we were very productive, and it, was, and it was right during that time. How many kids do you
1: have? Uh, six. Six,
0: okay. But it, you was, were very it
1: was during that time when, when uh, uh, pills, what do you call the pills? Contraception, Contraception was not available, huh? Contraceptive pills were just coming in, and they were discouraged in the church. Yeah. And so we were just trying to figure out different ways of n- not getting pregnant and, and unsuccessful, uh, didn't figure uh, it out right out of the <laughs> shoots.
0: <laughs> so here you are, you're, a young graduate. You've got, you've got kids on the way. All, all, By a regular the time steady I graduated
1: and, and did one year of graduate school, we had two kids and, uh, and, uh, I realized in graduate school, and I mentioned J. Roman Andrus, I, I, he was kind of my, my faculty advisor, and I found that I was arguing with him all the time.
0: Hmm.
1: And, and I realized I got to get out of here. And so I applied uh, because I knew about uh, the sculpture uh, school at the Academy in Copenhagen, of course. And, hmm. uh, um, uh, oh, Anderson. <laughs> dallas anderson who la- later taught at byu was a student at the academy in copenhagen so there was some precedence for going well, out and there. he had joined the church while he was there he was he was an american from minnesota and he went and and he had joined the church there so i got to m- meet him and his wife his wife had been miss universe in the 1950s hmm. and uh uh and so I would visit him there at the school, and became acquainted with it. So I applied, and and was accepted at this at the school. And so I had to make a big decision. My wife and I
0: did. Are we going to move our, our family to Copenhagen,
1: or are we going to? And we did. You moved to Copenhagen. We had we had fifteen hundred dollars in the bank, and we had to buy our tickets to get there. We figured we'd have about three or four hundred dollars to live on. Or, While we were there and we would maybe be there a year to two years and we ended up going and within two months of being there, the academy and the sculpture school where I had been accepted, I found myself arguing with everybody there and realized that it wasn't BYU that was the problem. It was that I I needed to start being what I wanted to be.
0: That's interesting. It's it's that you, you realize that there wasn't anybody else who was going to give you an artistic vision that needed to take you to the next level. Is that what you're saying? Uh, what that I'm it saying, wasn't somebody you know, else's plan? What
1: I'm saying is that I already had it because of my relationship with those of us who had talked about the evolution of a, of a Mormon art. Interesting. And that was so firmly rooted in me that that was where my passion was uh, and that I,
0: I needed I needed to be doing it. Okay, so you've just you've just dropped out of a program at BYU. You've taken your family, and moved to Copenhagen. Is, is there
1: attention in my voice? No, 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 no. <laughs> Am I I'm making you stressful well, by because... reliving
0: some of these things? <laughs> and then you're and then you move you you've got hardly any money, you got two kids. You say you probably come home and say to your wife and and uh, and I'm sure you felt some conviction in it and said, "Hey, this isn't for me either." That's right. What do you do next? Well, well, Part of it was that we were out of money. Yeah. And,
1: and the another part of it was that in the little Mormon community of Alpine that was one ward, they had split into two wards while I was gone on my mission. And then two or three years later, after I had finished at BYU and Veloy and I were in Denmark, one of the, when they split, one of the uh, two bishops was my dad. Hmm. He became the bishop and they were building a new church and my dad was in charge of it the the church in in the middle of town the red brick church mm-hmm. and that used and, to be my ward and the question that they had was what are we going to do with the old church and and veloy and i were out of money in denmark and i was you know communicating with my dad through letters and he said we're going to be s- selling the old church or getting rid of it and I said, "I want to buy it hmm. and I wanted to make it into an art center. I wanted to make it in that we would live in it, and that the the old amusement hall recreation hall we would have we would have theatrical productions, and I would have my studio in in the other side where yeah. the chapel was, and we would live in the downstairs oh. and I had it all laid out what we were going to do, and I submitted a i We'd had no money. We didn't even have enough money to stay in Denmark, yeah. and and I submitted. I can't remember what it was. Uh, uh, five. I think it was five thousand dollars. And then I hoped if we got home and and they approved of it, that you I'd get be able to and... get a loan for it. Uh, and rather, and I can I can I imagine what the meetings were like. You know how they would scoff at, and how I mean it was well, like it was like. If, if Dennis came over here and lived in it, it would fall apart and it would be degraded. And, and I, I can understand that thinking. It's just normal thinking. And also there was a purity of, of there was a, oh, what do you call something when it's, and see, I lose my words, when you, when you disrespect something religious.
0: Oh, desecration.
1: Desecration. That it would be desecration to have somebody live on in it and so it, the church sold
0: it to the city for a dollar oh my heavens and uh <laughs> here's here's one of the questions that, that 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 comes to mind though as you think about coming to utah is this is when this is the late 70s this no this is mid 70s 1968 oh so we're still in 60, so this is a time when there are the church magazines really haven't started they were fu- they were published at least on a monthly basis, starting in the early 70s. It was still the improvement era. You still had the improvement era. You had um, you had no church museum. You had no BYU museum of art. You had maybe a few kind of furniture stores that were in Salt Lake that sold art on the side. Right. And Salt Lake was the de facto provincial capital here. And here you are in Alpine, which it took a day's ride at that time to get out to, thinking about creating an art center. It sounds a little bit uh, pie in the sky to think that art was going to do well in Alpine. There was no, there was
1: no uh, sense of, of, of of a place for an artist to start here within this culture. You look at John Hafen, who yeah. who I esteem as one of the greats, one of the great, the, the founding fathers, the of, founding of where father we live. of Utah art. I, yeah. I, I mean, he and John Hafen and a few of the others. You know, we could talk about them, but. Ju- but I, I, LeConte Stewart, his, his Wasatch Front landscapes are a pure and a powerful, uh, rooted Utah art. But he was trading them for groceries. He, right
0: exactly and and could only make a living by teaching at the University of Utah, so did you think i 'm going to come back do this art center and not so much be a teacher but i 'm going to create an energy with this art center? There was no how how am I going to make a
1: living mm-hmm. i mean I mean there we lived in for six months months in denmark i don 't even know how we in fact, at one point, we got a letter from the government and and i I mean i could I, I still had my Danish. And I read the letter but I misinterpreted it. I went and, and it and, and Valois says, what is this letter about? And I said, It says that we that we owe <clears throat> taxes.
0: Oh my gosh. <clears throat> and so I went to the tax office
1: and I explained to them there's no way I can I can I can pay this three hundred and twenty four crowns taxes. I don't have any money. And she kinda of looked at me and smiled and she said, This isn't money that you owe, this is money that you get. Oh.
0: <laughs> so let me let me let me try and catch me up on something. Cuz so we're getting I want to catch us up to where we are now, but before we do that, I want to I want to thread the needle of going from 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 coming back from Denmark to being a successful sculptor who has public monuments all over the country. How do you make that first step into commercial life? you 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 throw everything to at the
1: wind, and you say, "Come, hell or high water, I'm going to do it and I remember many times walking out in the fields and sitting on the ditch bank and thinking, "How am I going to how how is this going to work?" I mean, I came home, I had nothing in fact, when we landed in New York, we had six dollars, and a, a porter grabbed our bags. And I ended up having to give the the lion's share of that to him for taking our bags. And we had been, we had been, uh, uh, our flight had been delayed and we had to go to Montreal and we had two little kids that were tired and we went downstairs to the restaurant and we spent our last, our last money for a hamburger to share with the kids. Jeez. And, and, uh. Uh, so when we landed, we had nothing, and we stayed for the first month and a half with my wife's parents, Reed and Mildred Walker, in Pleasant Grove, and uh, he thought I was going out every day looking for a job, and I was going out every day drawing treehouses, hmm. and, and thinking I'll do a whole series of treehouses houses. I went to Barrett Builder Supply in American Fork and was able to get some uh, uh, pine stripping, one-and-a-half-inch stripping, to make frames, and I made frames for about 12 or 15 of these treehouse drawings and was able to have the American Fork City Hall agree to let me exhibit them there, which I did with the hopes that I was going to be able to start
0: so these were
1: sculptures
0: of tree houses and no, drawings or paintings? or
1: Drawings, they were, they were uh, 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 pencil and watercolor drawings of spontaneous drawings about 18 by 24 inches. I still have five or six of them. Did they sell? No, nothing sold. Uh, that's the story of my life for the first, <laughs> for the first 10 years until 19... Yeah. 19- 76 well not 10 years so eight, what did you do to make years. a
0: living in that time were you just doing odd jobs living with family
1: uh we ate uh we we drank powdered milk and a lot of watermelon wow <laughs> but wow. Uh, actually after that first uh, two months we uh the the uh place the corner lot in alpine where the bank is yeah that was kent shepherd's house the kid that was my friend where the, his dad's service station was. The Bank of American Fork owned that, and they were renting it. And a, fri- a friend of ours that was in Alpine said, hey, I hear that the people that are renting that are moving out. So we went down to the bank and told them that we were interested in, in no, 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 we didn't go to the bank. We went to the people that were living there, and they said, sure, it'd be okay with us if you moved in. I mean, this is how, how n- much of a naif I am. I I I knew nothing about business, and I thought if I made an agreement with the people that had been living there, that we could move in. Yeah. And we went ahead and made an agreement and started to move in, and then I went down to the bank to pay the first uh, uh, rental for the first month, which which they had been paying seventy five dollars a month. Yeah. And and they said, oh oh, you mean you're moving. And then I realized that it to... was them that I had to, that I should have <laughs> talked to. Anyway, we lived there for two, I think two years.
0: Did you have did you have people who were like And uh... we
1: were always late with the rent and because because we hardly because it was very very difficult and whenever I would go down to the bank, the Lloyd went down one time to to pay the rent and the woman that— the Uh, didn't know what she was talking about and she oh 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 yes
0: so so (laughs) there you've got this this uh you you you're in alpine you've kind of gone back to your roots you've you've got this ambitious art effort that you're doing privately and you've got people who i'm sure that there are some art events that are going on you've got the annual spring salon that's still happening. You've but got. there was no money in anything that was uh, happening. Were, were you just were you were you looking at some? Was there anybody you were looking at? I mean, was Gary Ernest at this time mm. selling things and in? Gary Gary had joined uh, had been uh, drafted. He'd been drafted into, into the, the into the, the army. The, yeah, yeah.
1: Ended up fortunately in Korea, working for the for the CIA, or <laughs> not the CIA, but the. But the uh, security forces... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
0: and, and he teaches art for a little while. Is there anybody who you look at and say, wow, maybe they could help yes, me out here? Yes. Yes, this is a very significant thing that happened.
1: Uh, uh, as a lead-up to it, uh, the fir- first we talked about my parents and you asked if they supported me. yeah at this juncture that I was just telling you about when we moved back to alpine my dad says to me would you like to have the barn which was the old chicken coop yeah as a studio huh. i mean we he didn't have animals anymore and he was working full time at geneva and uh, and uh, and and i took him up on it like that hmm. because suddenly the, I had a studio, yeah. and we stripped out. We cleaned all of the manure out of the floor, and I was able to go down to to uh, Geneva Steel and get old bricks that were in, in a scrap pile from their from their open hearths and their and uh, and blast furnaces, and use those fire bricks to make a brick floor over the entire the, the entire thing. And a a lady who had seen some of my work and liked it, she says, I've got a a welder that you can use. And she loaned me an oxyacetylene welder that I loaned from her for the first two or three years.
0: And what were you making? What kind of art were you making?
1: I was going around to old junkyards around Alpine because this was before there was even a city junkyard. And people, when they had junk or, or garbage, would put it in a... In a ravine in there. And so I would go to the old junkyards and look for scrap pieces of metal.
0: So you're doing assemblage art?
1: That's where my assemblage art started. And still three or four of those pieces that I've got in my studio now. Uh, uh, I'm looking at my agent here right now yeah. who's sitting here in the room with us. Uh, two or three of those pieces that are sitting there I did in that first year. So
0: do you are these the first works that sell that you have?
1: No? No. Because they didn't sell, but during as a student, I had started doing pieces of children, and I had already become clear. And during the six months in Denmark, when I I about on the third month, I quit going to the to 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 the to the academy because I I just
0: it wasn't for you. It wasn't for me. What
1: was the first work of art you sold? Well, let me finish this first. Yeah. I started going around and riding in trolley cars and in the library in Copenhagen, just walking around the streets and drawing. And at one point, about four months in, sitting in the Svanamula um, Estor metro station, drawing people, suddenly I realized that that, there, that the coordination between my hand and my heart and my head was happening. Hmm. It was like riding a bike and you know that suddenly when you can balance then from then on the rest of your life you can ride a bike yeah. and that's where it happened for me and i and i and i and i received that that empowerment and i knew from the the last year i had been at BYU that the core of my expression centered around the human figure hmm. and particularly around children and so that became the core of the work that became saleable for me, because people could relate to that. And no. uh, so Well, when
0: I think of your work, I certainly think of children. Okay. And I think of them, I think of them being expressed in ways that is full of curiosity and of whimsy and an invention, and another thing that's
1: significant that is rooted in the ideas that we had evolved as we were students. And we were asking the question, where does our work fit within the church? I had created a poetic metaphorical perspective toward imagery which made the children not just, oh, aren't these cute, but the child became a metaphor for humankind, Hmm. that the child became mankind as children of the father, of of of, of a heavenly father. Yeah. And so the child became this very poignant metaphor, and the metaphorical context of my work began from that point on, and it started bef- just before I went to Denmark. I did a piece called Run Caraneta Christina, which was of a girl running, mm. and it was named after my grandfather's sister, older sister, who one time when I was visiting her said, I remember when your grandpa was born and mother said, Run out to the field and get and get your father and and uh and I went and, and immediately after she told me that she lived in Lower Provo in kind of on about third third south and fifth west mm-hmm. in a little bungalow and she was a widow in her 80s when she told me this, and it was so profound to me that I that instead of driving home, and Valois started wondering where I was probably because, you know, I told her I'd be home at 5, and there I was at sunset sitting down at the Provo Boat Harbor thinking about my grandfather being born, and I wrote a poem called Run Karen Etta Christina after, after my Aunt Etta, and that, and that became the piece... Of several other things and some etchings that I sent to a gallery in Bellevue, Washington, before we went to Denmark, and thinking that'll <laughs> save us. <Yeah. laughs> While we were gone, the 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 uh, uh, gallery went bankrupt. <laughs> oh no! But he sold Run Karenetta Christina, which was a sculpture I did of a girl running that was about fourteen inches high. Huh? And I remember sold it for three hundred dollars. I mean, you'd think that you'd think that we'd
0: sold a Picasso or something. <laughs> when was... you when when so when you um when you uh, are are starting to do large public sculptures, going oh, into too much. DJ. No, you're not. No, this is fine. I, but I do want to ca- I want to. I want to move ahead to to these large public sculptures you're you're doing. Are you? At what point did you start? Going into galleries regularly okay. with your
1: work, I'll, I'll, I think I can uh, cover the next six years, which is that stage you're asking about. Yeah. because I'm always I am going into Salt Lake from Alpine every every week or two or whenever I could afford gas. I drive. I remember the feeling of driving into into Salt Lake in our little gray Volkswagen and thinking, what are, How am I going to get home? I don't know if I've got enough money to get enough gas to get home. And going to architect's offices and to different, I'd, go, I'd drive around town and look for buildings that were being built and then I would contact the people who built the buildings and to see if whether or not they would, if they were interested in doing sculpture. I mean, it was, it was survive or die. Yeah.
0: And yeah. And, uh, and you're looking for practical applications for your sculpture. Survive
1: or die or get a job at Geneva.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. It was as simple as that. And so did you have somebody who gr- latched onto you at the beginning and said, yeah, let's do this outdoor sculpture?
1: Not outdoor sculpture, but uh, if you
0: know Werner Weixler. Yeah, I know Werner Weixler. He's he's a, a centerpiece uh-huh. in, uh, in the community. He makes furniture, restores furniture as an art gallery, and he's been involved a lot in the church in the decoration and approval of Art for Temples. About uh, three or four years after I got back, I heard about
1: werner he was He was then on uh, about ninth east and seventh or eighth south and had a little furniture shop and he'd worked on his furniture in the basement. Rich Osenberg, who was an interior designer, was a partner with Werner and Werner saw my work and he said, I want to carry your work hmm. and and he has carried my work from that time until this moment.
0: Werner has uh, undoubtedly, been been very loyal to you, and you've had work from him. And then I, I'm sure that he sold it well over the years because he's connected to everybody here locally, but nationally, you have works and in major in, in and you even recently. And you've got to catch me at, at the right in Norway. You just did a major monumental figurative sculpture right. of which. What was the name of the inventor?
1: Uh, Wilford Woodruff
0: of of Wilfred. No, no, no. It was. um Oh, John Woods. Wits- John- Johnny Widso. I'm sorry. Johnny witso That's Johnny all right. Widso. It was Johnny Witzow. Yes, <laughs> and 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 you've done, and and it's this is this is a leap that a lot of artists, even in a very healthy environment, let alone somebody who's who's come from a culture that that doesn't necessarily sculpture's hard to sell. I mean, it always has been. It's even back in you know, hundreds of years. It is it has been commercially. Not as easy to sell sculpture, but you have broken that mold. You have major sculptures all over our city in Salt Lake, but all over the East Coast. Uh, How did you break through what happened? Uh, I had to either sell it or die,
1: and you know i when I mentioned i yeah. literally it was it was because of that passion that I was given by j j Niles Washburn, my My 12th grade literature teacher who 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 planted a seed that said you have to express how you feel or you will die. Yeah. And and that it's as simple as that. And when I came back and and Werner Weixler was a kindred spirit and he they were going to build their their new. Uh, furniture outlet and studio and he p- partnered with an architect named joseph linton here mm-hmm. locally uh, and and uh and and several others and built uh just west of of uh, trolley square a big nice place werner commissioned me to do my first life-size piece hmm. it was a fountain figure the figure there that's in the hallway of of, 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 a, of a, boy, a little boy and a girl standing, the girl's holding a doll, and, a, and the boy is sitting next to her with his legs hanging over the edge of the fountain. And that was, uh, Werner commissioned me to do that for their new building. And he also commissioned me to do an air, an air, no, he didn't commission me. He saw it after I had it built. I carried it in. It was about seven feet across and about six feet deep. And, and a, 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 airship with circular panels and he bought that to hang in their front entry and that was a place that was exposure but even before werner i at one oh to answer your question the most specific and direct answer is that i did anything yeah that was that would make it possible and the one anything was that a a, a guy who saw my work? Oh no, 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 no! I somehow I can't remember how it happened, but I got a, an invitation to go up to the Hotel Utah. At an arch at the American Institute of Architects convention was held in Salt Lake City at Hotel Utah, and they said, "Would you be interested in coming up and drawing portraits of people?" And I said, "You're damn right, <laughs> well, it, <laughs> I will." Which seems mean, like which seems like a minor gig on some level, oh, right? Architects, yeah, architects. That's that's where I could f- possibly make some connections beyond yeah. beyond here. That's a big leap. And, and, Potentially. and uh, uh, for those of you who are conservative, I apologize for saying your damn rights. <laughs> but uh, it's all right. But I went up and on the second floor of Hotel Utah in a room, as one of the places that they had in there was in their program was. This artist's gonna be up there and drawing pictures and stuff. A guy who oh and I can't remember broad not broadbent. Uh, a guy named uh, oh, I can't remember his name and I feel That's bad right. about that. Well it isn't all right because it could come to you, because, because he owned a fireplace store down on seventh east and about twenty second south. Uh And he came in to the architect's convention because he wanted to sell fireplaces. And he saw my work, and he says, boy, the people at the church need to know about this. Hmm. Because not only was I doing portraits, but I had photographs of some of the stuff that I'd done, my sculpture. Next thing I knew, uh, I got a phone call from uh, Marion D. Hanks, who says, hey, we've seen your work we'd like to come out and see your studio and he and oh what's her name that was really involved, Florence in Florence church, church. Uh, no a woman uh oh. anyway they came out to an, and interviewed me and they brought a, a a photographer one of the church photographers oh he's you're the guy that's supposed to come in at a certain point and say Hey, Eric is... has
0: just entered our engineer, which means we're getting close to the end of our time. But finish your story.
1: <laughs> well, and, and the story is basically that they came out and did an article on my work in the first Enzyme magazine. Oh, really? And and it had the era of youth in the inside of it. And mine was the cover story on the, on the inside of the era of youth. And on the outside of the Enzyme magazine was a photograph of one of my assemblages. If you can believe that
0: that they would have assemblage art in the enzyme it was, magazine, it, it,
1: it was the, uh, what, called one man sub, and it was a plexiglass piece with a with a with a scrap metal piece on the inside of it of a submarine and a and a, uh, a uh, and a and a bronze kit in that, and it and it had had been purchased by Frank Johnson, who was a local local developer. Mm -hmm.
0: But uh, suddenly people knew me. You know, it's it's um, one of my first real mentors um, was Vern Swanson. And I had uh, started volunteering at Springville Museum of Art um, right around the Olympics when he was asked to put together a list of the 100 most honored artists of Utah, which you are one of those artists. And some people may think 100, that's a hundred—that's a lot—but we have, um, according to some estimates, fifteen to twenty thousand artists who are—and—and and that number, for those who may be wondering at that, is based on on how many people have submitted and been accepted to the Springville Museum of Art Salon that are individual artists that are in the region. So it's not out of the realm of possibility if you were to talk with someone like uh, Rita. Um, Rita Wright, who's the current director, um, she would put it closer to 30,000 and to be one of those 100, um, the most honored artists of Utah, I, I, it kind of, it fascinates me that you lived through a time of such optimism, but none of the practicality that met that optimism. The optimism came first. There was no real market for art in Utah. That's right. And you were eating powdered milk and, and living with in-laws and killing yourself. And just, I mean, it, it, lesser, people who weren't as passionate as you were would have given up long before you
1: did. And, and let me mention my wife who says, and I was naive enough to think that Dennis knew what he was doing. <laughs> but I'll tell yeah. you, I could never have done it. Without Without my wife's support. She has been the most valuable partner I could ever have had because she supported my vision and trusted that I would be able to make it work, which Mm. is not any small thing for,
0: for a spouse. Well, now I've gotten to know you better over the past few years, and it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, that you're more vital than ever. You're painting a lot you're sculpting a lot even now and here you are you're 75 it seems like your creativity is not slowing down at all if anything it's speeding up why why do you, do you have a reason
1: why uh, yes there was one other thing that happened that was very significant and that was in 1976 uh, there was the enzyme thing which helped to broaden the awareness of people of my name I mean, to be able to have a reputation or people know you is very important. Yeah. And the next thing that happened was in 1976 when the LDS Relief Society did a monument for women in Nauvoo. There were uh, 15 or 20 different artists that submitted proposals. I could go into the whole story of it. Yeah. But out of all of them, they chose mine, and mine was not a simple monument. It was a an entire uh, garden with... Thirteen different life size figures, wow, they chose that, and over the next two and a half years i uh did that project together with Florence Hansen, who did two figures and uh of of hers she had been uh considered initially, and then they opened it up to other artists, and not, so I was fortunate enough to the, to uh do my proposal and to agree that that other artists were involved, that another artist be involved, kind of like which was which was Florence, hmm. and uh, and that that really put the icing on the cake in terms of a regional rep uh, a, a, a cultural reputation within within Mormon culture. One thing that was really kind of special to me last month, the Ensign magazine came out and Volney said, "Look at this." And I looked at it, and on the front cover was a picture. Uh, that it was the conference issue in in October or, or November, and there was the Salt Lake Temple, and that uh, the 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 uh, a fountain the no, no, yeah. fountain the little uh, yeah uh, water water the water feature that's there in front of there. It, yeah, and then tucked down in the front corner, the picture was taken from by the Relief Society Building. So that it, right in the front on the, on the front cover is a picture of uh, the sculpture that is there called "In Her Mother's Footsteps," mm. which is a second casting of one of the figures from the from the uh, uh, Nauvoo Monument to Women uh, of a woman walking with a child on her shoulder, and the child is reaching over her shoulder at a little girl walking behind them. Uh, uh who was walking behind her mother and uh uh that uh, the model for that figure was my wife Aloy, hmm. and the little boy on her shoulder the little the little infant actually is our son danny who now is a is a uh headmaster of a of a uh, international school in in uh, bangkok thailand Wow! And my daughter Sally is a painter and lawyer in Berkeley, California. Oh my heavens! So that's how far it's come. Oh my heavens! Well, and to be able to see that on the cover, and I mean, it's an incidental feature on the cover, but it it it, it's an embedded image within Mormon culture. It's part of our.
0: It's part. It's part of our. uh, It's how we see ourselves now. And uh, that's
1: really that
0: meant a lot to me. Wow. Well. Dennis, it has been such a pleasure and a gift to, to have you here, and to hear your story. I, I had no inkling of the, the 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 level of difficulty that it took to, and the road that you traveled to get to this point.
1: And and we only talked about the first chapter. And I little know bit of the second chapter.
0: We well, we'll get to it. We, we may have another opportunity to do it. We really, I would I would like to explore that. Thank you so much for being willing to sit down and talk
1: with us. Oh, it's been a a pleasure to talk about it. I enjoyed
0: it. I'd like to thank Dennis Smith for joining us for this episode of Mormon Visual Culture presented by the Zion Art Society. Uh, You can find past interviews that we've done for the podcast at zionartsociety.org under the podcast tab or on iTunes. Uh, I'd like to thank um, Todd Winder, who was here as for the interview who, uh, who works with Dennis Smith and uh, I hope that you go to Dennis Smith's website which is listed on the podcast and it's DennisSmithSculptures.com to find out more about him and about his work uh, I'm Micah Christensen thank you for listening